You're listening to Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. All the news from Spain and the UK. Things you might have missed. So, good day everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It is the 28th of July. And uh, the word hot doesn't really do it justice. So we've had several days of absolute uh, heat. But then you only need to look at your TV screens to see that it's not just us, it's everywhere. Let's go across the mountain range, uh, travel just about an hour in the direction of Benidorm. I should find Terry Whitehead. And Terry, first thing I need to ask you is, how have you got on with the weather today? <laughs> I don't know. I think it was about 10 kilos less than I was this morning, but uh, I should do my best to shove that back in again later tonight. I'm going out for a bit of dinner with some more friends coming over, so uh, I look forward to that one. And uh, chill out a little bit. And take advantage of the, the cooler evening temperatures, but uh, it's not that cool. That's for sure, at night, still a bit sticky. We've got a few more weeks of this, and then uh, we have that nice September weather coming up. I hope you're right, because that's exactly the way I'm feeling at the moment. Look, mm. Looking forward to uh, September, as maybe we used to uh, always, always appreciate it. OK, well, uh, here we go then. So we'll start with this one tonight. Okay, I wrote myself a very, very brief headline because um, three have died after the traditional, I think it's Baus Alcarer, it's a Valenciano uh, bull running uh, expression, 56-year-old in Picassent, a 50-year-old in Meliana and a 64-year-old Frenchman in Pedregueur. Um, all have died after the weeks or the years fiestas um, locally. Uh, Terry, you know, um, is it that these people are just, um, I don't know, overcome with the joy of being away from their usual place of uh, living? Or is it that um, there's not enough precautions taken? Because from when I went down to Denia, uh, they have the the bulls running down the, mm. uh, the waterfront and then going yeah. into the bull ring. I have to say, I didn't think they looked very big, these particular bulls. And then, of course, it was interesting to see all the um, police activity, uh, people in boats all waiting to see the uh, bulls being uh, encouraged to jump into the water. And, um, you know, obviously, I'm looking at these three deaths and I'm thinking, well, you know, three people went out ostensibly to enjoy what I would always doubtfully put as entertainment. But, I mean... um, uh, you know, some of the things you've seen here in Valencia, I think the traditions look a little bit um, as if they need to be firmed up on the the safeguarding of people. But, uh, but I might be uh, wrong. Well, it's, well, one way is a way of keeping the population down. That always seems to work. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I'd imagine maybe the odd drink will have had something to, to do with this. You know, people sort of seem to think, well, I can outrun that bull. Well, you can do think. You seem to think you can do an awful lot of stuff when you've had a drink, I suppose. That's the trouble, isn't it? Uh, I can only assume that's it. I don't think, I wouldn't, I don't know, I don't know of course, but I'm only just surmising that uh, I, would, I wouldn't have thought it was a breakdown of security, but uh, it is what it is, and it's a, it's a dangerous thing. It's always gone on. It's gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years, and part of the fiestas. Then it's not going to change. It's not going to stop. Um and if, if people die, they die. It's, it's uh, they they choose to to participate. If if they're of an age where they shouldn't be participating, then uh, more for them. Fifty six, fifty, and sixty four. I mean, you, you would have thought that maybe they would have learned a little bit of life's lessons, like keep out the way of a bull. Um, well, 
Yeah, I could have, I mean, it sounds to me like somebody's had a bit of a drink and uh, decided that uh, maybe I can do it, and then we're oops, no, I can't. Uh, no, you can't miss about with the bull. You've, generally speaking, got three quarters of a ton of, uh, of, of stuff on four legs with two sharp pointy bits at the front. And if the pointy bits don't get you, then three quarters of a ton of, of solid bull will certainly make a mess of you. Because uh, they won't, they'll just go through you. They, they, won't, uh, they won't step around you. They don't need to. So, uh, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, of course it's sad. Um, self-inflicted injury, isn't it, really? Well, I you see, understand. look, you, you look at the rugby, and some of these guys in the rugby, they're massive these days. And, OK, as a sportsman, I think I would have thought twice about wanting to come up against some of these guys, because they are huge, and yeah. they're very mobile. Um, yeah. I really think that, is it that the people underestimate the bull? Uh, is it they think that they, you know, aren't as mobile as they are? Um, mm. Okay. Bull, bulls are very, they're, they're very quick. Uh, and from a standing start, they go, they're off. I mean, they don't sort of build up to a speed from a standing start. I mean, you'll see them uh, if you're watching in the bull ring. Um, when, they, when they go to run, they, that, those back legs, those huge back legs kick in, it just launches them forward. And they're up to an amazing speed very quickly. And because they are so big, you don't realise how fast they're going. And any matador's got my all my respect. Who's going to jump into a, a, a circle of, uh, of sand and pitch himself against a bull? Um, the odds are stacked in favour of the matador in as much that he knows what the bull does, whereas the bull does not know what a matador does. That's uh, I said before. That's why they use a cape. They've only ever seen. They've never seen somebody on two legs. They've only ever seen people on horseback, generally speaking. Mm. So could they consider the cape as uh, as the horse? Well, I think so we both. I think we both agreed in a previous discussion about this that the actual, um, you know, the heraldry and the pageantry before yeah. and um, probably just after the event. Um, you know, unfortunately, you've got to have a kill if that's what you're going to go and see. But yeah, it's a, you know, I think I saw my first bull fight. I'll be about fifteen, fourteen, maybe, up in Barcelona. That was, and um, I was shocked when the bull got killed. You just don't expect it. You know, you go to a bullfight, great, yeah, you, the bull gets killed, yeah, but you still don't expect it. You know, because on television you didn't see people get killed or people get shot on television, never any blood. It weren't in them days, because nowadays there's blood and gore everywhere. But if you ever look at the old-fashioned films and uh, all the cowboys shooting at everybody, there was never, a, 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 never any blood anywhere. They just put their hand to the chest and fell to the ground. Yeah. It was all very clean and very neat. But of course, when you see a bullfight where if it does go wrong, or it goes wrong for the bull in the fact that they're not dispatched in a proper manner, then it can be a a bit gory, um, but uh, the 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 killer the killer blow is his sword straight through the heart. And if the bullfighter has done his work properly, then it should be a clean kill. He's yeah. got to do the work properly. He's got to be brave enough to lean over the horns to do it. And as long as he's, he's got both uh, going in his favour, then the the bull will just drop. The bull's dead for before the sword's gone in, if you like. It's it's very quick. I had a student. It's not that good. I had a student who was a female, uh, diminutive girl, and she was training to be a bullfighter. Um, you know, she used to tell me some of the insider detail that you might not get somewhere else. But um, mm. okay, well, I'll move on then because obviously, uh, uh, you know, it's not going to be me that stops the bullfighting, but I can choose not to go. Okay, here's the next one. So, according to the Donetsk uh, People's Republic Deputy Head of the Ministry of, of Information, the Republic will be freed from Ukraine armed forces by the end of August. So, we're talking four or four weeks or so, maybe five weeks from now. Daniel Beznov, uh, the Deputy Head of the Ministry of, um, of Information of the Donetsk People's Republic, stated on air of the um, live TV channel that they have, uh, Solovyov, I think it is, um, on Tuesday, July 26th. My conviction is that by the end of August, the territory 
will be completely liberated, as reported by TASS. In addition, the deputy head added that he believed the armed forces of Ukraine only have about 10% of regular military personnel left in its ranks. Of those cadres uh, who were originally with the army, uh, most were killed, wounded or taken prisoner. They were urgently replaced by mobilised military personnel, according to our intelligence, he stated. The Donetsk uh, People's Republic is a Ukrainian breakaway state that was formed on April the 7th, 2014, by the pro-Russian separatists after the Ukrainian revolution of dignity took place. The news followed reports of the leaders of Russia and the Donetsk People's Republic deciding to ban Google due to the Western Ukraine's propaganda, as reported on Friday, July the 22nd. In addition, the Republic signed its first memorandum to liberate uh, Kharkiv from Ukraine, as reported on Thursday, July the 21st. And it does rather seem that you know things are still quite mixed in ukraine's war it, it, it you don't seem to get the clarity that you want do you it's all very missed and it's all very horrible and it's all i was just feeling my prediction is going to come true that uh, he will it'll end up that he'll keep the area that you're talking about the the, the so-called republic um that's really all he needs i mean no what he wants is the whole of ukraine obviously and then he wanted to Presumably wants to get Poland and Latvia and Lithuania and all the rest of it. Put back the borders back to pre-1989. But um, uh, I just feel that he has to, you have to let him save face. Push Putin is all about now. I do not see him conquering uh, Ukraine, no. Um, nor will they let him. And there's a certain amount of um, territory being regained by the Ukrainian forces at the moment. Yeah. So um, hopefully it'll just end up, they'll give him that bit of uh, uh, the eastern part of Ukraine. They can have that. They can. He's got his land bridge then to the Crimea and leave Odessa in the hands of the Ukrainians and uh, call a peace treaty and then just let the world get on. At the minute it's, 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 everyone's paying for it in the, in the fuel and gas, electricity. Every, everybody's paying for, the, for, for this war. Obviously the Ukrainians are paying for it with, with a lot higher currency um, life. And that is absolutely shocking. But uh, at some point, uh, at some point, the land forces have got to be enriched with uh, international soldiers, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I was. To push um, the Russians back far enough. I, I was talking with a Russian businessman um, on uh, Tuesday. Um, sounds grand, but in actual fact, it was at uh, the christening of his new daughter. And to get from St. Petersburg, he had to fly to Turkey. From Turkey, he had to go from Turkey to, I think he went to the Netherlands and the Netherlands to here. And obviously, all the cost that uh, is incurred is very high. He's actually in gas as well. So, no. you know, it, it was an interesting guy to speak with. And he was telling me that apparently you can't even say the word war in Russia. If you actually mention that, then you're likely to find somebody immediately trying to pull the, the, um, the security people to you, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, apparently there's uh, lots and lots of shortages in the shops. Um, the, 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 you know, you can't really do what he was doing, which was going out for a meal after a christening. Um, Conversely, I did have a chat with the Russian minister in charge of the church um, as you come away from Altair. I mean, it's an absolutely yeah. lovely church and yeah. very, very close to Christianity when you actually look at the figures on the ceiling. And uh, and, and it's quite funny because he was a really down-to-earth uh, priest. I mean, it was just a shame I didn't feel that I was able to discuss things that are so important with him, you know, I mean, at least yeah. um, I think sometimes you've got to be a little bit circumspect about the way that you, uh, you you want to chat with people. And the funny thing was, I don't know how it all came up, but he, he apparently loves music. Oh, yes, I know. I, I was telling him that um, one of the hymns they used was exactly the same tune that we use in the Catholic Church. And, um, you know, and from there we were talking about his love of music and he told me that he loves the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, right. you know, if ever you're looking for a Russian that likes Red Hot Chili Peppers, then um, you know where to find one. 
All right, Terry, um, let's find then our next story, which um, is a bit, bit strange, but we'll see, what we, see where we go with it. Well, this was the new science, technology and innovation law in the Balearic Islands, and it will mean more funds for research and better working conditions for researchers. Uh, This all happened on July the 26th, and the Parliament of the Balearics approved the new law, and uh, with the support of all the parliamentary groups, except Vox. The scientific community was represented by the main institutes and organisations dedicated to research in the Balearic Islands. The Councillor for European Funds, Universities and Culture, Miguel Company, described the law as a commitment to the economy, the knowledge, society and policies that promote economic diversification through research. The new law provides for a progressive increase in the public resources dedicated to research and development until the amount reaches 2% of the annual budget of the Balearic Islands by 2030. It also provides for the creation of the Balearic Islands Research Institute, which will attract international research talent and retain local talent. Furthermore, the law lays the foundations for better working conditions and more stability for researchers. It will also be ethically and socially orientated and will guarantee gender equality. Now, I read that, uh, like I've just read it to yourself, and I thought, well, what on earth are they actually saying? It doesn't really tell me anything, that. No, I don't really understand it. What, uh, what they're trying to achieve there. What, what are they trying to achieve? OK, so it wasn't just me. I, I, I wanted to just see whether it uh, resonated no. with you. I mean, if it was innocuous, why on earth would Vox want to not support it? Yeah. I just like this. Just sounds like politicians trying to press all the right buttons to to get as many people on on board as possible. If you mention certain keywords in a speech, then um, um, you, you suddenly get those groups supporting you. That's all I can work it out. I don't see. Well, Vox are always against everything anyway. Hmm. <laughs> they, they don't want to be part and parcel of anything. They're just anti anti anything. Um, they're, well, they're they're never going to. It's never going to amount to anything, Vox. I think they've had their heyday. I can't see how uh, they can ever improve on what they've got. And I'm just hoping that um, when the next elections arrive, that the centre... Uh, we need a centre party. We need a leader of a centre party with with, um, with, with policies that are, that are believable and workable and doable um, to get the, get the country behind them uh, to have a government that's not extreme left or extreme right uh, because it's just ridiculous swinging from one side to the other but that's exactly uh, the, nowhere that's exactly what British politics have been doing for the best part of half a, half a century yeah British politics yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, oh, yeah. but I mean well, more than that what used to the, the liberal course is only when the Labour Party came into power that uh, not power no that came to the front after the, um, the, the turn of the last century with the socialist movement um, that uh, then of course they got into power, um, but it's the liberals just disappeared virtually. Well, they all but did disappear. They they get little resurgences and they keep thinking they're going to do something. But you've had lib lab lib lab coalitions and lib conservative coalitions. They never come to anything. They're always just basically the wishy wishy washy, aren't they? Well, they've never. Yeah, they've had. You know, there've been a couple of good leaders. Um, over the years, but an awful lot of bad ones. Um, uh, which, but they are, yeah, they're really, it's a non-vote vote. <clears throat> I don't want to vote left and I don't want to vote right. It's a protest vote, I think, mm. more than anything, as can be seen by the recent by-elections. Uh, the, those, the recent uh, wins they've had in by-elections recently, the uh, Liberals, uh, are not going to come to fruition in, in, a, in a general election. The, the voters will be, will be voting traditionally either to the left or traditionally either to the right. Just going back to that uh, piece that I, I read to you. Yeah. Um, to be described as a law doesn't make sense to me, this. You know, it's not really doing anything apart from very, in a wishy-washy way, letting people know that the scientific community and the um, main institutes are going to get a bit more money, which is going to, was it 2%, I think it was, wasn't it? But I mean, well, that, 
Well, well, firstly, mostly throughout the world, scientific all, all major centres tend to hover around capitals. That's where the money is. Um, so obviously, uh, the Balearics are trying to get some um, some because there have been the Brussels have uh, distributed um, various um, scientific centres, research centres. Uh, there was two, I think, around Spain, wasn't there? One, I think, was for the batteries. One in uh, Alicante province as well. What was that for? I can't remember now. But um, it, it's, it's another way of, of getting centres set up in their area, bringing a few bob to that area. And because we live in an internet work from home uh, uh, life uh, world now, whereby you don't need to be in, in a strategic office on a strategic street in the capital city, you can you can literally work from home unless you're a builder like me and you can't. But, but most people uh, in, in, in office work can work from their own homes or work away from certain areas. So it's a way of bringing money to the Balearics, so far as I'm concerned, but it's always about the money, that five-letter word. Yeah. Bringing money to the Balearics by, by setting up uh, research institutes on the basis of God, all, the, all the different equalities and the rest of it they keep bringing in. Yeah. You know, try and tick as many boxes as you can. Okay, well, I'll move on because uh, I didn't think I'd misread anything, but I didn't feel I'd read anything. I thought, well, you know... Well, no, you won't. No, these, these things just get set up and then forgotten. They get set up and money gets poured into them and they take their lump out the back of it and uh, everyone's happy. And then the Research Institute man manages to keep a bit of the money and does something and then all of a sudden it'll fold up and be gone. It's okay. Just, it's just making show. As I'm concerned. Okay, here's the next one. Okay, and if there's one thing Elon Musk does on Twitter even more often than posting dodgy memes, it's talking about population collapse. So this is the CEO of Tesla, and of course he's a billionaire, has been very vocal over recent times about the threat of a reduction in the human population size. We should be much more worried about population collapse. If there aren't enough people for Earth, then there definitely won't be enough for Mars, Musk wrote in a tweet earlier this year. USA birth rate has been below minimal sustainable levels for 50 years. The past two years have been a demographic disaster, he also posted. He also said that Italy, where the birth rate has been falling since the 1960s, would have no people. And if that rate continues to decline, leaving aside Musk's ambitions to put people on Mars for the moment, his posts have turned more people to talk about the idea of population collapse. He's also joked that he's doing his part to get the population numbers up with nine known children of his own. After the news broke about Musk having twins with Shivon Zillis, who is an executive at his artificial intelligent company, Neuralink, he wrote... Oh, that, that, I'm going to not even read that. That's just uh, nothing. Anyway, uh, Elon Musk's claim on population ranges from just about grounded in reality to floating free in outer space. It would be easier to laugh them off if he didn't have 100 million Twitter followers and a stratospheric media profile lending them spurious credibility. It's easy to mock him for his extravagant claims, but there's something really serious here. The number of women with an unmet need for modern contraception in low-income countries stands at 270 million and is growing. Covid, climate change and the economic downturn all threaten to push back the vital Gains in health, poverty reduction, family planning, gender equality, and education that have been reduced, um, that have been reducing family size and population growth, and improved the lives of billions. And we're seeing hard-won reproduction freedoms from Iran to China to the U.S. being pushed back, sometimes explicitly, to promote higher birth rates. Um, again, I felt this was totally and utterly a confusing piece that seemed to be started in one way and going on in a totally different tack halfway through. Um, what on earth has the population of the world got to do with uh, people moving to Mars? 
Uh, number one, what has Mars got? Uh, nothing. Number two, what has Mars not got? Uh, oxygen, water, everything, all the basics you need to live. So there's no way... Uh, and I haven't seen a golf course on, on the pictures I've seen from Mars, and I haven't mm. seen the trees. Or, so, so no way are people going to be flocking to go on his uh, spaceships to get to Mars and populate Mars. For, for, for The weather's wonderful, sunny every day, um, freezing cold at night. But it, why would you want to go to Mars? Why don't people want to go to the moon? For the same reason people don't want to go to the Sahara or the Antarctica. It's just not on. What, what waffle? What crap is he talking about? Now, on the other hand, yes, there is a, a problem. Uh, Spain, is, as I mentioned, Italy, but Spain's had, had a, a terrific problem now for over 30-odd years, as I remember, in that the population is diminishing. Well, let's put it that way. The, the, the birth rate is, has diminished tremendously. It's only just over one now. I mean, the 2.2 being the, 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 obviously the average that every family should have to, to duplicate themselves uh, um, to keep a steady population, but it's been it's been way under two for for, for many many years here in Spain uh, to the point that they were they I remember 20 30 years ago they gave away uh, work permits to Moroccans because the Moroccans used to come over to seasonal uh, um, fruit picking and uh, um, vegetable picking in the south of Spain all working illegally because then they'd, they'd be there for a few months and they'd, they'd go back to Morocco again with the money. But A, they weren't paying any taxes and B, they were there illegal. So the government come with this idea of giving them um, uh, um, legal status so that uh, they could get on the, uh, the social security system and use the health system. And the idea being that they stay in Spain and procreate and raise children in, on, uh, as Spanish citizens. Why? Because pensioners like me need people un younger than us to pay money into the state so we can get a pension. Because it stands, the pension money has gone in Spain. There isn't any. Uh, and th there won't be any, or very little, being paid back in. Because there won't be enough people out there working, feeding the government. Uh, this this is making... a big, big problem. That all China's got it as well. They, over, they overcooked it in China when they, they, they controlled the... Um, the birth rate because it was getting completely out of hand, but they went. It's gone the other way. That I need to get people to to to, to uh, you know, get on the nest and start banging the kids out again. If you look at the Agenda 2030, and uh, they're telling us quite clearly this is why the Sub-Saharans are seemingly being allowed to come in unchallenged and are being looked after. This is certainly what we see in the UK and we've seen in Spain and we've seen in Italy. Um, then certainly from what you've just been saying, I can understand maybe why there should be such a policy like that. Um, that was the, the first thought that I had. The second thought was that I looked at a BBC documentary during the week and they were showing us the famine, uh, the, the drought, the problems that they have in, I think, um, I think Somalia was one of the countries, but there were several countries. And the immediate thought that um, went through my mind is how stupid really we all are allowing or, you know, not being able to stop the government spending millions sending rockets up to space being able to kid us that there's a, a wonderful new piece of technology, this fantastic um, telescope that can tell us what we were like billions of years ago, when we can't even use the water on our own planet and make it no. so that people can use it for food and for drinking. I, I think there's something intrinsically wrong with, with all of us, if I'm, if I'm honest. Well, it's always amazing me how India's got a, a space programme. What's that about? Yes. They, they, they rely on billions of... Uh, Billions of rupees foreign into the country to, to float the, the the country itself from other nations, and yet how much are they spending on it? Why are they why are they involved in a space race by, by launching rockets? For what actual purpose does that help the country? I have no idea. Well, we even whatsoever. we even know that Britain gives them a lot of money um, to right. help them with this. Yeah, but for what purpose? I don't I don't see I don't see the end game at all. I really don't. I All the money that's been spent trying you know, getting people to the moon, which was Kennedy's promise and dream, 
and they only just up him by the skin of his teeth by the end of the decade, as you said, it's 1969. But he, it's um, uh, for what reason? Why? We can't even. We haven't been. We been humans haven't been to the lowest uh, levels in the oceans, to the deepest parts of the ocean. We yeah. can't live down there. So what's the point? <laughs> Why are you trying to go and live in a in outer space when there isn't anything that we need? There's as much oxygen in Mars as there is. No, hang on. There's more oxygen at the bottom of the sea than Mars. Put it that way. So aren't we all flocking to the bottom of the sea? There's twice as much water on this planet. Uh, areas of water on the planet. So why don't go move down there if you want some some more areas to move into? That has to be the future. Is using the sea and and populating the sea if necessary. But the thing, as things get hotter and hotter, we might end up bloody doing it. Well, I mean, there's some terrible. St- but again, you know, how much of this? Uh, well, we know there's the heat because we can see it. But you know, it's the media again kicking in, and before you, you know, you, before you can really start your day, you've had all sorts of horror stories that um, make very unpleasant reading. And um, you know, again, you, you wonder when is it that somebody can get a grip of this ridiculous situation that we have on planet Earth and start? I mean. I know it's heavy investments, but surely the money that they are spending going up to the moon and these other planets, surely they must be able to fund that sort of money into uh, desalination plants. They must be able to, mustn't they? Well, I mean, in the face of it, how much you can't run out of water because two thirds of the planet's covered by the stuff. The trouble is that most of it we can't drink. And there's only five percent of the water on the surface that we can actually drink. Um, yeah, desalination. I. But then what do you do with the salt? That's the, there's no problem to taking the salt out of salt water uh, to make it drinkable. The problem is, what do you do with the salt? Well, I you remember... You back in the sea, you kill all the fish. I remember a guy that came into on the third of when we were working there, and uh, he told us that he was driving past the shells, the inside of um, the, the, the fruit that grows around Cayosa, and he took a sample and sent it off to Australia, and they found it had certain properties, and he's now a, me- a millionaire. You will have probably met this guy as well. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, uh, if he can manage to think of something which hadn't been thought of before, then is it beyond the realms of somebody's willingness to really seriously help these people that need water to just get it done? I mean, if, if it means that we've got to designate an area and just make it a salt area, uh, well, c- can't that well, be just, done? Just, well, just think about this. Just picture the, um, the space station. It's populated by about four or five or six people at any one time, I presume, yeah? Yeah. There's no taps at the space station. There's no water lines going to the space station. So where's their water coming from? No one goes up with big bowsers of water to keep them supplied with water. So where's the water coming from? They recycle everything. So the future is recycling rather than the hugely expensive desalination plants. The the, the water you drink in London City has has passed through people's bowels about six times before you you, you drink it. (laughs) Coming out of the tap. I'm not joking, but it's perfectly drinkable. It's not a problem. I mean, when I said that, even even basic... uh, um, What's septic is? What's that in English? Septic tanks. Uh, when you build a septic tank here in Spain, for instance, yeah, uh, it, 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 the water filters naturally through different things. It's a very natural process. Then it then it drains away into the ground. Now, in theory, within within just a number of meters, you could possibly even drink that water. It will naturally get clean uh, itself. You know, it won't uh, it won't um, spoil other areas close by. It will clean itself. So if you can if you can be on a space station and be completely self-sufficient for water, then I don't see a water problem. The point I'm getting at, Vince, is that is the massive investments in in space technology, etc., is what accelerates the world. I mean, the the the, um, the I remember getting the Casio digital watch when in the, in the uh, mid 70s it would have been. Mid seventies, late seventies maybe. Yeah. A Casio digital watch. You know, I think it was a fiver. There was more computer power in that Casio digital watch, the very basic digital watch, than in the Apollo Eleven spacecraft. 
there was more computer power in that watch that I bought for a fiver than there was in the Apollo 11 spacecraft. It's the spin-off. The spin-off from the space race is tremendous in, 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 in plastics and in the materials that we use. People look on plastics as a dirty word now, but it's not. It's an engineering material. And you just don't think about it. It's all plastic bags and paper and food wrappers. It's an engineering material uh, to be used. And now we're obviously realising we have to recycle it and be very careful how we do it. OK, the world's learning on that one. But it's, it's the war. The Second World War was a massive leap in technology. Even the First World War, when you think about it, they were, they were, they were using planes at the end of the First World War, which was unthinkable four, yeah. years, before, you know, four years ago, yeah. uh, four years before you know, when it started. And then the Second World War, where the likes of Perspex and things were invented, uh, and the engines and the plane, it's a massive leaping technology. And any war will actually do that because necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. And but if you haven't got a war, then start a space race or something, because then you have to get results. You have to find a way of, of recycling water in the space station. There's no taps. So all these are spin-offs, and, and, and many more will come. Uh, it will give us the ideas that we need to make life better for ourselves. But at the same time, we're kicking our own selves in the, up the backside by not paying attention to, uh, to to things that we should be paying attention to. I don't believe that every car's got to be got rid of in the next 10 years. My car's going to be blown up, I think, in the year 230. I think that's which shell to be destroyed because it's a diesel. Um, but then what makes me laugh is how, how can I go out and get an electric car? Because the minute I've got an electric car, somebody's got to power that. So where's all the electricity going to come from that I'm going to need to power up my car? Hmm. More, so you need more... <laughs> you need more uh, Electric stations, don't you, to, to, to drive up the power? Doesn't it's make just, sense. Yeah, it's it's clean energy. I can understand that. But don't ever anybody tell you it's going to be cheap, because people say filling the charging your car up now, which is so much. I imagine it is. I, don't, I have no idea, but I imagine it's very cheap compared to what we're paying for the fossil fuels. But can you imagine when in ten years' time, when everyone's got a, an electric car and there aren't any more fossil fuel cars around, apart from in museums, do you think that the government will be happy to lose all those billions and billions of dollars of revenue that they make on the sale of petrol and diesel and just forget about it uh, mm. and, let you, uh, and let you have cheap electricity. No way, pal. Those billions of dollars that, that they need from, uh, from fossil fuel, petrol and diesel sales will come from you in your electric bill. And it's starting right now, as yeah. you can see. All right. My electric bill, just, I've just gone up for 40% my electric bill this week. Well, this will knit very closely to our next topic. Here we go. Okay, so um, we have British gas owner, Centrica, sparking fury in the UK in the papers today after announcing profits had risen fivefold to £134 billion just as it emerged. UK household energy bills could rocket to £500 a month. This, of course, with the, the threat of the Russian uh, cutting off of the European gas supplies. The bumper operating profit for the six months to the end of June compared to the 262 million recorded in the same period last year. Um, Centrica, which produces energy as well as selling it to households and businesses, announced it would restart its dividend at one per one p per share after suspending it for three years. Struggling consumers slammed the company for obscene greed while former Energy UK chief Angela Knight told Talk TV, there's a big question mark over those making extraordinary profits from an extraordinary world situation. The comments is where I normally like to see how other people are feeling about this. Here's one. Please read my words very carefully because it then prevents readers from making dumb comments. 95% of the gas pumped into our homes is sourced domestically right here in the UK. It doesn't come from Russia, Ukraine, Siberia or Alaska. Mm -hmm. It comes from the UK. So why are the gas bills going up? Now, my political point. Before the Tories privatised BP and British Gas, the UK not only owned the oil, 
but the means to explode, drill and pump it. It also owned the means to get it into people's homes. In France, where the government still owns the energy companies, there's no cost of living crisis because they've capped energy price increases at 4%. Something you could do when you are not paying shareholder dividends. And just think about all that cheap, cool, generated electricity we could be enjoying if Thatcher hadn't closed the pits. It's cool powering that economic boom in China, Australia and India. OK, so what do you think of all that? Well, it's two things. Uh, the, the exorbitant, I use the word loosely, exorbitant inverted commas profits, uh, which have been shown by these companies. Um, we're talking about three months' profits, by the way. Um, Centric, I think it made 270 uh, million um, uh, the previous three months or something. Now it's like one and a quarter billion. Uh, right, if I buy something for a euro and I want to make 10% on it, and then I sell it for one euro ten. So I sell my product for €1.10, I pay a euro for it, and I make 10% profit. And the shareholders are quite happy because I'm making 10% on everything we sell. If my product goes increasing in price to €2, Euros, it comes into me at €2, Euros, then I apply the same percentage profit, 10%. But 10% of €2 Euros is, is, is €20. Euros. So now my product is sold at €2.20. Euros doesn't matter because the product's gone up all over the world and people are paying that price. But the point being is... Instead of making 10 euros profit on each article, on the same article now, I'm making 20 euros. So all of a sudden, my profits are doubling. That is partly what's happening. Secondly, you have to take into account that a pandemic, which has shut, swathes masses amounts of industry down uh, for two years, basically. Um, and they caught a cold. The, the, electric, the power companies caught a complete cold on that. It cost them a lot of money. So they, they look at it from the point of view they're clawing back profits to put against the losses they made in the last two years. That's their argument. France has got the right idea, and Britain should do it. I said the other way. They should cap prices. They should cap the price of petrol, cap the price of uh, gas and electricity, and, and adjust their tax takings uh, from the price of these items accordingly to make sure that the companies don't go bust and that they can make a reasonable profit and not an extortionate profit. So that, that's something they could easily do. Uh, will they do it? I don't know. I'm yet to find a government that will do it properly. But that, that has to be done. Somebody's got to take the ball by the proverbials and, uh, and do it. And just say, look, petrol will only be uh, €1.50 a litre. And that'll be it. And we will, we will do a, make adjustments in our tax. Because don't forget, about 60% of your petrol that you pay goes in tax yeah. to the government. So that it's quite capable the government can can swallow the increases and um, and, and keep the uh, the producers like BP etc. Uh, keep them uh, in, in in marginal profits to keep them going while there's a crisis. That is possible. That can be done. There's Will a, it be done? There's another no. another comment which uh, will throw our minds back to see whether you agree with this one. Just think, if Thatcher had not sold off our energy companies to her mates, we we could be like Norway. They kept their oil and gas companies and put all the profits in a sovereign oil fund. That fund now pays all her health care, education and their pensions are 104% of the average country wage. Pensioners earn more than most workers. Their fund still has $2.3 trillion in it, uh, more free cash than the USA. Our once-owned BP is now controlled by four American financial speculators who really don't care about us and are again holding us to ransom with what was our own company. Financial madness. To pay for our infrastructure, our government now put huge taxes on top of the oil and gas companies' profits and we pay for all of it. Makes me so mad. Mm. And is that, is that an accurate assessment? Well, you're talking about Norway, which is an oil-rich country. It's like, you know, all of a sudden they found oil. They became sort of a Saudi Arabia of the north. And we all know what happens in Saudi Arabia, the amount of money that's floating around there. Uh, so they are, very, they are a very rich country. And that will reflect in the standard of living and certainly their pensions, etc. Regarding um, privatisation of, of, uh, of the, the, the power industry, shall we say, uh, that's, always, that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. It generally collapses. Privatisation is not generally a good thing. 
They've obviously done something very clever over there, and maybe there's something to be learned. But generally speaking, privatisation is just an excuse to lay out money on nothing, to lose money on nothing and pass the problem on to the consumer. In reality, that's happening now in a private... In a, in, in, not, sorry, making public, not privatisation, making the, the public companies, these, making these companies public companies, whereas privatisation should liberate the market. But it has to be controlled, and we're seeing a lack of control at the moment. But something has to be done about that. I don't. We are all suffering. We are the people. Yeah, I we don't. I are don't. The people and the tail, the tail should not be allowed to wag the dog. I, I think also, Terry, it's not fair to really um, c compare, say, Norway to the United Kingdom. I mean, we're talking about the difference between about six million people. Uh, and about 70 million people. It's, it's, it's not a fair comparison. And with all the riches around the coast of Norway, they are already a rich country, but then have a small population. It does make me cross, I have to say, uh, when we realise just how low our pension is against the other pensions. It's disgusting. The, the British pension is 600 quid in it or something like that. No, it's it, absolutely outrageous, the British pension. What is it, 600, 700 quid? You, you, might, get, you might get about 800 back, depending on, on the exchange ranges, uh, that sort of thing. But, I mean, uh, if you then look at the fact that Spain is, uh, is asking people uh, to give proof of being able to pay so much, I think it was some £70 a day when they come to to uh, go on the holidays here. Now, um, I, I caught that story in, in the press. No, and, I don't think, I think that's a load of crap. I don't. I read that the other day. I, I, I think that's an absolute. Well, hazardous. how could they police it, Terry? You couldn't police that. Well, have you ever been stopped? Oh, I, ha I haven't. No. But well, I mean, but I mean, if some. I don't know anybody who has. It's just the newspapers talking again. They love to shove that on the front page because it sells newspapers. They love it. The media, the media have stopped reporting on facts. They decide to create history instead of reporting. They create history, Vince. Yeah. They created the they created the, the the fuel crisis last year in the UK. There wasn't one, but they created it by saying that there was one. So everybody takes their car to the gas station, fills up instead of putting twenty quid in it, fills the tank and, em and empties the gas stations. All of a sudden, there's a gas crisis. <laughs> it makes you laugh. So we could. And I was to a goose about that. If I was a prime minister, I'd have dragged, I'd have dragged the BBC. Well, I think they did. That's why they said they weren't going to. Uh, after that, they said they weren't going to fund them anymore, didn't they? And yeah. They, they, they deserve that. Okay. Uh, right. We'll look for your next one. So, uh, where are we going next? Here we go. Okay. So, this is something that I just thought was interesting. Carp are us. We've looked at this. Uh, organization once before and they fished which one uh carp are us carp. uh carp you know the fish yeah okay cool. uh, and it's fished the rio segura at bigastro for the first time in two months and this was for round seven of the summer autumn series um and the club secretary steve fell said how it had changed the bankside vegetation so carefully cleared after 2019 storms is now back to head height in many places. The river itself was down about a half a metre from the previous visit and fell a further 15 centimetres during the match. <laughs> Another tough day at the office was expected, he added. Winner of the match was 2.8 kilos and... Um, uh, this was a guy regularly fishing after almost a year spent renovating his house. Um, but he managed at peg one, I suppose that's the place he stands to do his fishing, 1.3 kilos with a catch that included two small barbel. Uh, that was to see, he said. Third was Tony Flat with a kilo and uh, then somebody else with 280 grams. So I don't think they're actually f fishing and, f you know, finding masses of fish. Um, mm. But it would appear that the vegetation is quite strong uh, where they were fishing, from what what I'm re what I've just read. And where was this? Big Astro. Yeah. Uh, Big Astro, yeah. Well, no, you do surprise me. I thought it was quite polluted down there, or I thought it would have been quite polluted down there. No, I'm very pleased to hear it. I'm very pleased to hear it. Um, so there should be. I mean, it's, it's good news to hear that because that was an awfully polluted. I presume it's the Segura River or something. Yeah. 
there was awful pollution, um, terrible pollution, mainly because of the urbanisation. She's just pumped the crap, literally the crap, straight into the, the local barranca, which she then filtered into the local rivers and, uh, and aquifers. But um, I'm very pleased to hear it. I mean, keep it going. It, it, it's, it's very necessary that uh, um, it's unusual for Spain um, to be looking after this. But they said they've got Soprona now, which is the uh, the Guardia Civil, the arm of the Guardia Civil that look after um, the, the nature, look after animals and pet abuse, animal abuse, okay. forests, etc. It's, it's, it's a huge, it's a company, it's not a company, it's, a, it's an arm of the Guardia Civil called Soprona. Uh, I can only assume they've done great moves then in, in getting these places cleaned up. Okay, uh, another couple will, will see us through. Um, here's the next one. Um, let's take that one off there and bring in this here. So, uh, just when you thought you'd heard it all, up pops an organisation that's recently suggested uh, suggested we should off old people as a favour to our children. The mm. World Economic Forum, an extremely well-financed outfit which has its finger in a positive global pie. It's also a somewhat shady union of powerful left-thinking people who want to change the world. The latest edict does actually take the whole tin. They consider that the world is grossly overpopulated and to give our children a better chance, old people should take voluntary euthanasia. And they're deadly serious, apparently. They have actually produced a video full of assenting geriatrics stating that they've had a good life. And as there are too many humans on the planet, elderly people who are no longer productive should opt for euthanasia. You really couldn't make it up. Personally, I find this group a highly dangerous and disturbing bunch of nutters. But what is most disturbing is that its founder, Klaus Schwab, is a billionaire. And one of its major affiliations is the Open Society Foundation, a corporation funded and chaired by, chaired by George Soros, who's already given away some $32 billion to various organisations around the world. We're talking truly serious money. While uh, it's in the hands of people who condone the offing of old people simply cannot be taken lightly. The only upside of these organisations seeking to initiate the Great Reset is that Schwab is over 84 and Soros is 91. Perhaps they would like mm. to lead by example and Absolutely. be first to take themselves off, um, preferably on television so we can all heave a sigh mm. of relief. Well, in reality, it makes sense, doesn't it, Vince? Old people live in houses, which if we encourage them to, uh, to to leave the planet, then that house can be can be can be handed over to to young young family. Uh, old people will, will uh, are eating food, etc. Obviously, so there's uh, there's less food to go around, so that'll liberate more food to go into society. Then you know they're, they're, we're burning electricity, we're doing this, and it, it, it makes economical sense. I think that's probably where all this has come from. It does make economical sense. But that's absolute bar barbaric. I mean, it's Hitler-esque. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, have you seen that film, <laughs> Soil and Green? I told you about. Uh, I haven't yet. Um, I, so, yeah, anybody listening, get get on. I oh, presume it's on Netflix. I don't know what it's on, but it's an old film. Uh, Ed, Edward G., G. Robinson, and I think it was Burt Lancaster. Soil and Green. S O Y L E N T. Green. Brilliant. Uh, get it. Watch it and then think about what we've just been talking about. You see, I mean, when you go to an aeroplane and look down, mm. you, you can probably see that there's plenty of space, but we're not really using it correctly. Mm. You know, we're, we're not thinking... I mean, how many times have we seen now, Spain being a good example, of where all the people in the countryside have now migrated back to the cities because basically young people don't want to, um, they don't want to do work. the dirty no, work, do they? Work. Well, certainly Spain, it's very much very rural. Uh, and um, what have we got? Olives, um, almonds, um, pistachios will grow in certain areas, oranges and lemons. The farmers are leaving the oranges and lemons on the trees because they can't afford to pick them. They don't, the, the, the supermarkets won't pay them enough money to take them off the trees. Uh, the water that it costs to, 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 to feed these plants, especially the fruit plants, is tremendous, the amount of water that, that a fruit tree needs. 
and, and the farmers are being charged um, uh, potable water rights instead of uh, arable uh, water rights. It, it's, it's, it, who wants to be a farmer? So logically, farming, we think in rural areas. So rural areas, if farms close down, then there's no work for the locals. Uh, and the locals will go and find the big cities to populate, as, as has happened in countless. You can buy whole, whole villages in Spain. They're up for sale. Yeah. Complete whole villages are there, and quite cheaply so. You can go and buy a whole village because it's completely empty. So uh, I wouldn't mind having one of them, is that? Well, well, I know if, if you uh, drive up to the Basque Country, it's, it's, a, it's a long old drive, but you do actually see the contrasting parts of the, uh, the mm. countryside and the topography and everything as you go up. Yeah. Um, and you can see that there are certain areas where certain farmers have obviously taken an absolute pride in growing and keeping their land. I mean, I always remember at the farming college I worked at where they talk about the farmers being the managers of the land, and they're quite right. Um, you, you know, you go uh, on this particular drive now, and of course, in the time that we've been here, it's already changing so that you've had whole hills which have had the, um, you know, the, the um, windmills put on them. And then mm. you've got now fields full of um, electricity panels. So yeah, yeah, you have up there. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of wind, you see. Hell of a lot of wind up in the north of Spain. And there's always sun wherever it happens. Um, and that's going to give you your free and inverted commas electricity that you'll need to pull your car. Uh -huh. Well, when you actually look at the uh, way that the landscape is now changing, I don't think you have to be the most... Um, the biggest advocate of trying to make it look nice. I mean, aesthetically, it looks awful when you go past a field with nothing but these uh, things that you normally see on the top of the houses, just panels yeah. harvesting a bit of sunshine. Um, well, you... because it, it creates money. It just sits there. It doesn't cost anything. And it creates money. You don't have to work the fields, plough them, plant them, um, bring in the harvest. You don't have, you don't need tractors and harvesters and everything. You don't need warehouses. You don't need farm buildings and stuff. You don't need any of that. You just shove these in your fields and it makes you money from day one. You don't don't do absolutely anything. Well, I can't see anything wrong with that. Well, <laughs> well, on a selfish point of view, I absolutely agree with you. If you look at it from a community or a communal point of view of uh, everybody needing food. I and, agree. You know, but no one wants to pay the price for food, Vince. If 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 you and I have got a farm, uh, and I've I convert my farm to, to to solar and wind energy, I'm not going to farm anymore. And you see me get rid of all the labour. I've got no overheads. I've got absolutely nothing. I don't have a tractor anymore. I don't have anything to do but to sit back in my chair and uh, read a book and, and count my money. Meanwhile, you're going out with all your labourers and your seeds. And digging up the fields and putting the, the fertilizer in and planting the, the, the planting everything, getting it all watered, letting it make sure it grows well, treating the treating your crops, bringing in the harvest, bringing it all back in, getting the lorries to get it get the harvest to market, and you've got less money than I've got. So what are you going to do? Yeah, no, I can I can see the economics and the logic, but, but... we won't, none of us won't want to pay for anything anymore, Vince. Mm. The supermarkets need to hit the lowest prices. All we ever see on telly is how cheap. One particular supermarket is where it's Asda or whatever it is, or all the different ones, Tesco's, all advertising how cheap they are, and uh, and I can only do that by battering down people who, who, who are supplying the the fresh produce. And it gets to the point where, pff, tell you what, I'm not going to supply it anymore. Then all of a sudden you're going to be in the hands of just a handful of farmers, probably owned by one man, who becomes a multi-billionaire overnight and he holds the world to ransom. Um, it's, I don't know, I don't know uh, This world is very, very strange at the minute Very, very strange Right, well we put the world to right again In the last hour Terry, it doesn't paint a lovely picture But whichever no, way It's very confusing But there yeah. again, it's always has been I think really, we're looking it's, it's always, my parents would have been moaning About different things And their parents would have moaned about different things We have to have something to moan about Vince But yeah. it does look very clever at the minute I must admit Terry, thank you very much indeed for your company. Look forward to See next you, week. Thanks, Thanks Terry. Bye-bye.